Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Matt Heller, founder of Performance Optimist Consulting and co-host of the brilliant Attraction Pros podcast. We discuss how Matt has been supporting the industry through the pandemic, how to keep your teams motivated, and his advice on how to be a better leader in the attractions industry. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Matt, I am absolutely delighted that you're on the podcast today, even more so because my internet has just come back on. Thankfully, this interview can go ahead. Well, that is fantastic. I'm super excited that your internet came back and that we can uh, get started. I know that you've listened to the podcast, so you know that we always start off with the icebreakers. Now, let's see if I've been kind to you. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I think I have. Okay. okay so what, is, um, what is your favorite sandwich and why? I'm so glad you asked me this. I've heard you <laughs> ask this to other people. Um, my favorite sandwich, this is going to get really specific. So it's a BLT, so bacon, lettuce, and tomato grinder that is at one of my favorite restaurants here in town, the Blue Ridge Pizza um, uh, restaurant. And they put this special sauce on it. They also put cheese on it and then they put it through the pizza oven. Oh, is that the grinding bit? Is that where the grinder comes from? What's that? What does that mean? Well, so it's basically a submarine sandwich or a sub sandwich. Gotcha. But the owners are from New England and in New England, a sub is called a grinder. Ah, okay. All right. I'm not sure why. I thought maybe you would have an, an no, idea. Of no idea. <laughs> okay. But um, so yeah, that's, that's my favorite sandwich and, and everybody knows it's my favorite sandwich. And uh, you know, my wife will just say, Hey, you want to get your sandwich tonight? Cause she likes to get wings from there. So yeah, everybody knows. It's a great, I am down for that sandwich, Matt. That is a great, a BOT with cheese. Yes. And sauce. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I'm there. All right, good. Okay. Yeah. I have to try and recreate that in the UK. <laughs> All right. Who's the better podcast host, you or Josh? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that was mean. That was mean. <laughs> so is it wrong to say I think we both bring different things to the, uh, to the table? <laughs> no, it's very diplomatic. <laughs> you know, what, what Josh brings to the table, which I so, so appreciate is his attention to detail. And so often he can say, well, we talked to this person, we talked to Kelly on episode, whatever it was back in, you know, whatever month it was in the year. And I'm like, yeah, I just know we talked to Kelly. Like, so I'm, I'm much more um, free flowing and things like that. And I think I probably take things off in different directions, but I really appreciate how, how detail oriented Josh is and, and how we both think of things very differently. You know, we look at things very differently. Um, so he will come up with questions that I will never think of and probably vice versa. Good. Uh, it's a great, uh, and it is a great podcast. And we will talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. So I'm sorry that I tricked you with a very mean question. There. Okay. All right. What was the worst haircut that you've ever had? <laughs> probably my last one. I don't know what is <laughs> When was the last time you got your haircut? Because we have, we're at the hairdressers are shut here. We can't go at the moment. Right. Um, probably two weeks ago. Um, no, actually this, this one wasn't, wasn't so bad. Um, I used to go, when we first moved to North Carolina, um, I used to go to, to one of those, um, you know, quickie haircut places, you know, kind of get in, get them out 10 minutes or whatever. 
And every time I came home, my wife would say, you've got to go someplace else. <laughs> you know, it's just, I'm like, I can fix it. Like as soon as I, as soon as I take a shower and put some stuff in it, it's fine. I like it's, it'll grow back. Well, as I'm getting older, it's not growing back in all the <laughs> places. But actually, I recently found one in a, in a small town near us, and it's this old-timey, small-town barbershop. It's still got the, the red and blue thingy. Oh, and you go in there, and it's like a throwback to the 50s. But the guys are super nice. They're very talkative, and you know it's a great experience. They take some time to do it. So quite frankly, even if they screw up a little bit, it's still a better experience than going to the other ones. So. Oh, I love that. It's, yeah, it's all part of the experience, which and exactly. we'll talk about a lot of that today as well. Definitely. Okay, the last one, and this is what I, I ask all of our guests. So tell me something that you believe to be true that hardly anyone believes, uh, agrees with you on. So your, your unpopular opinion. My unpopular opinion is that we should not use generational labels like baby boober, millennial, uh, Gen X. Luckily, that's getting a little bit more popular, but I cringe whenever somebody says, well, it's just the millennials. It's just Gen, you know, and I'm just like, stop, because these labels are doing nothing but, you know, putting more of a divide between us than they are pulling us together. So I really don't think we should be using those in any context and any management training. I used to. And I sort of had a, a negative experience about it and really had an epiphany moment. And I went, you know, this is just not helpful. And so I've, I've stopped doing it. And Josh knows, you know, if somebody says millennial or something on the podcast that I'm secretly in the back going, oh, you know, or, or, you know, making a noise or something. So yeah, that's, that's my somewhat unpopular opinion. Oh, I like that. I'm going to agree with you on that one because I think they, they feel really kind of corporate-y and really dated and it doesn't really fit with where we're at right now. Yeah. Well, and I think what it does is it takes the individual out of the equation. So, you know, from a management standpoint, we're looking at our team and saying, okay, well, they're millennials and they're Gen X and they're baby boomers. So I only need to know three things instead of getting to know all 50 of my employees. Right. And what's really interesting is back when this really started to explode 15, 20 years ago, when, you know, people were talking about the different dates for the, for the, um, the, the different generations and things, you look at the people that were kind of leading the charge back then, and even they've softened, right? Even they're saying, well, the dates are just kind of more of a, more of a guideline. They're, they're, they're not a hard and fast rule. So, you know, even they are, are softening on that a little bit. It's a really good unpopular opinion, Matt. I would love to know what our listeners think about that because I, I agree with Matt. Let's see if you will do as well. Thank you for joining Absolutely. in my game. Matt, you have had a really, I mean, a pretty incredible career in the attractions industry. I mean, it's, it's 20 plus years in hospitality and leadership. And you've worked for, I mean, you've worked for Universal, you've worked for Six Flags. It's, it's really incredibly impressive. How did you get to here? And, and, and did you always think that you would work in the industry? I did not <laughs> think I would always work in the industry. In fact, until I was 16 years old, I was deathly afraid of roller coasters. Wow. I would, wouldn't even get on wow. one. But my family was vacationing in Florida and the uh, girl that I was dating at the time, her family was vacationing. So we all went to Bush Gardens in Tampa and she said, well, just wait in line with me, you know, for the, for the Scorpion roller coaster. And so I got in line and I figured there'd be a chicken exit when I got to the front and there wasn't. So I get in, I'm trying to be a good boyfriend and I'm, I'm, I get in and I'm, I'm white knuckling all the way up the chain lift. But as soon as we, you know, crested the hill and started going down, I was like, this is oh, awesome. Wow. This is fantastic. 
And so, so I started really liking roller coasters then. Um, but it wasn't until I was 18. So that was when I was about 16. When I was 18, I was back home from, from college and I didn't want to go back to the grocery store I had been working at, you know, through high school and everything. And my mom said, well, you know, Canopy, which is a park that was, was near us in New Hampshire, Canopy Lake Park. She said, they're hiring you know, for the summer. I said, well, all right. Okay, fine. That's fine. So I go down, get hired that day to be a ride operator and the rest is history. <laughs> exactly. So what did you yeah. do? Did you then yeah. just work your way up in the different parks that you've worked at? You just worked your way up through, through, you know, from like the ground level up to wherever you got to. Yeah. So when I started at Canopy, like I said, I was a ride operator, very part-time, didn't really think this was going to be a career, but I came back the next year, came back the next year. And I, I was, you know, kind of put into higher levels of leadership as I, as I went along. And then I kind of hit my glass ceiling there because it's a, it's a smaller family owned park. And at the time, the two people that were not family members that I could have eventually been promoted into one of those positions, those two people weren't going anywhere. So I knew I'd kind of hit my ceiling. So Actually, at that point, I went to uh, Minnesota. I moved to Minnesota and started working at Knott's Camp Snoopy, which is in the Mall of America, which at the time was managed by Cedar Fair. So Cedar Point, Knott's Camp Snoopy. So I figured this would be a good in into one of those companies. And so there I actually started over again. So I went back you know, to being a ride operator because they didn't have any other management positions, but quickly went, you know, kind of went up through the ranks. And then that led to a position at Valley Fair, which is part of the Cedar Fair family, uh, also in Minnesota. And then that led to working in Connecticut and then Florida. And now I'm here in North Carolina. Amazing. Amazing. It's really similar to Josh's kind of the way that he worked through that, um, through this, through the industry as well. I feel, I feel, it feels yeah. like once you start working in it, it kind of sucks you in and people stay a lot longer than they ever expected to. <laughs> <laughs> It definitely gets in, in your yeah. blood, I think. And, you know, I think what it is, is for the people that like to serve others and the people that like to entertain other people, those are the people that typically get attracted to this industry. So, you know, when, when they find that this is kind of their home, all bets are off, yeah. right? And then, <laughs> then forget what you went to school for, forget what you thought you were going to do when you were a kid. This is it. It's funny because we had a, another guest on um, a little while ago, Carly Strawn, and she said, actually, she was kind of, interested in kind of the almost like theatrical drama side when she was younger but that fits really well with what you just said about kind of entertaining people and, and kind of you know giving them that really fun experience so yeah it's good I like I like how that all that works out so I want to talk about the industry in general at the moment so um as we're recording this uh, I'm in the UK obviously you can hear that Matt is in the US we in the UK are in our third lockdown at the moment. And I think the third lockdown for many people has felt like the toughest one. We're, we're coming up to nearly a year of, of COVID pandemic mm. and the sanctions and disruptions and, and tragedies that that's brought with us. It's been a really tough time for the sector with closures and furlough and redundancies. And I think there's lots of positives on the way. We can feel like this does feel like the light at the end of the tunnel. But I guess I wanted to kind of ask you, how has it been for you? Because you are in a position where you support leaders and leaders in this industry have had to make, you know, really, really tough decisions about what they're going to do. And also it's hard to motivate yourself, let alone motivate a team when you're going through this. So how have you been supporting your clients through the pandemic? 
Well, one of the things that I did as a, as a supplier, as a, as a supporter of the industry is something that a lot of other people did just from a practical standpoint is that, you know, everything paused, you know, all of our clients business was paused and certainly they weren't focused on leadership training at the time, you know, at the beginning of 20, 2020, I had a number of clients that had already signed up to work with me for, for the entire year or for at least six months. And so all of that paused, all of the invoices paused, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I really wanted it to, to be, you know, I'm, I'm in this with you, right? So whatever you need, whatever I can potentially help you with, including pausing and not sending you invoices, um, I definitely want to do. So that was one thing just from a practical standpoint. And then it was figuring out what other people needed. And part of that honestly started with what I needed or what I could do, right? Because when I started seeing all of my all of my travel being canceled and all the jobs that I had lined up for 2020 just kind of evaporating. I sat here in my, in my home office and I said, what do I do? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? And I recognized, I think that because of what was going on, that so many people were feeling the sense of loss, right? The sense of I've lost stability in my life. I've lost now employees if I have to furlough them or let them go. I've lost, you know, a sense of security in the business and I may have, you know, be on the verge of losing a business potentially. And so from a personal standpoint, and I think, you know, this from, you know, the work that you do, you become very close with your clients, right? And they're friends. And, you know, in this industry, it's, it's a, it's a big industry, but it's a small industry. And so again, just kind of thinking about what I could do at that time when I knew I wasn't working and I knew people weren't going to be calling me up and saying, Hey, we need a coaching session. Hey, we need a training session, but what could I do? And one of the things that I've gotten feedback on that, that people say I'm pretty good at is, is being a listener. Right. And so I said, well, I can listen, right. I I can't bring your employees back. And I remember writing a LinkedIn uh, post about this. I can't bring your employees back. I can't make it any better. I can't tell you what cleaning supplies to use but I can listen. And so if you want to talk, if you want to chat, if you want to just, you know, get some things off your chest, let me know. So I, I got the Calendly app and I allowed people to just kind of, you know, set a, set a time on my calendar. And I said, let's talk about anything you want. And what was really interesting is some people of course, wanted to talk about COVID. They wanted to talk about furloughs. They wanted to talk about um, how they were um, having conversations with their teams one person actually from the UK called up and said, I want to talk about queue theory. You know, when people line up and queue up for a ride, he's like, I'm really interested in that. So I want to, I want to pick your brain about that. Okay, great. You know, another guy called up and he said, and somebody that's been in my coaching programs before, he said, I want to talk about the return on investment of adding a water park. Okay, let's talk about that. So what, what I think was really interesting is that, yes, some people needed to vent and they needed to get this, this stuff off their chest about COVID. But some people just wanted to talk about normal stuff. And that was really eye-opening because I figured most of the conversations would be about COVID, but quite a few of them were not. So that's one thing that I did and I'm going to continue doing is just allowing myself to be available for people to call and talk about whatever they want. That's lovely because I think that's something that has with, with everybody that we've been speaking to. And, and actually it, this is something that we spoke about when we were on, on the attraction pro podcast is how supportive everyone has been through it, how helpful they have been. And I think that is it's mm-hmm. such a generous thing to do to, you know, open yourself up to just say, Hey, I'm here. I'm, you know, talk to me. This is this is literally going to cost you the the call of a Zoom chat. You know, this is this is just free. I'm here for you. 
it's a generous thing to do, especially when you're in a situation yourself personally, when you you know that you, you've got those, those same worries as everybody else. You know, you may have a smaller team for it than, than they do, but you're still going through the same challenges of, you know, when is that phone going to start ringing again? When am I going to start, you know, getting those invoices paid? So I think that's a really lovely thing to do. It was interesting because the next question that I had was to ask you, when you were speaking to people, what were their biggest challenges at the time? You know, what were their worries? And how were you able to help them or how were you able to kind of alleviate some of those worries? You know, the worries kind of ran the gamut of, of different things. I remember one person uh, called up and he said that, you know, his facility had, had um, quickly closed down because of one of the actions of the owners and they really could have stayed open or they could have come up with a plan. But one of the owners just made a knee jerk reaction. And he said, this is a nightmare right? You know, what he was going through from a company standpoint. And then he also added on some other personal things that he was going through with his family and his husband and, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, that just broke my heart, you know, to hear those things. So that's, you know, kind of one end of the gamut, if you will. Um, one guy called up and he said, you know, I've got some people that obviously are not working with me right now because we're closed. He said, I'm going in, you know, once a week just to check the lights and to check, you know, make sure everything is secure. But he said, our staff is not here. And he says, we actually have some people that have already contracted COVID, right? And he says, I want to call them. I want to, I want to talk to them, but they're technically furloughed. And his head office, his corporate office was saying, you can't talk to them. You can't call them at all. And so he's like, I'm at my wits end because I just want to call them as a, as a human being, as a person. But my corporate office is saying, you can't do that. So difficult. So it is, it is. And one of the guests that Josh and I had on uh, the podcast in that time was a, was an employment lawyer from Florida. And she said, and I was so glad she said this. She said, you have a right to be human. You have a right to call that person and say, Kelly, how you doing? You know, just tell me about what's going on with you. We won't talk about work. I'm not going to ask you where that report is, you know, that kind of thing. But just tell me about you. And that is totally within your um, realm of, of responsibility and, and opportunity as a leader, as a human being. So I felt really good about that because that's kind of what I told him even before I, to- <laughs> I talked to her because he was, he was, you know, either going to break his company's policy or he was going to go crazy. Right. So I said, you're probably going to have to break your company's policy and talk to that person so you don't go crazy. And the other thing that was kind of along those lines is I was really encouraging people to err on the side of compassion. You know, we hear, we hear it all the time, err on the side of caution. And I think in this instance, everybody that I talked to, you know, they were all going through something and we were all going through something. So wouldn't it make sense that we, we added a little bit more compassion to our conversations or we added a little bit more um, sympathy and empathy to how we were interacting with people, knowing that they were going through some pretty crazy stuff, just like we were. So why not extend that to, to them as well? That, I mean, that is the strength of a true leader as well, isn't it? It's, it's the empathy. It's how you show that you care to your team, you know, regardless of size, you know, regardless of, of where, of location or, you know, it, it's about really caring about the individuals that are within your team. And I just, I'm so glad that you gave them that advice, even before checking with the employment lawyer, because that's absolutely what I would have done. Absolutely. Things must have, you know, things have changed quite dramatically for you. And, to, and I want to talk a little bit about how you've had to change how you 
kind of service your clients with within you know the situation that we're in from working from home etc but how how have you been able to kind of advise your your clients on on keeping their teams motivated because I run a small team and we've been very fortunate to be busy throughout the pandemic it's a digital team a lot of our clients have had to kind of not pivot but they've had to think of new ways to engage with their audience and a lot of that has been on a digital basis but it's still been very difficult to keep the team motivated even though they're busy because they've got their own personal worries about things they might have family members that are really affected by this they're they're working from home not everyone's kind of super comfortable with that how do you help a leader that has a team of kind of 50 60 70 people to try and keep all of those people motivated you know when some of them are on furlough as well it's really tough, but I think it comes down to communication, right? And especially as we're working with people in the digital realm, if you think you're communicating enough, you're not, right? If, if, you, if you are used to working with people where they're, they're side by side and they're face to face and you're in the same room, you might have gotten away with, you know, X level of communication in the past. Well, that's got to, got to maybe double or triple. You know, and it doesn't mean that you always have to have something to say. Communication is both ways. So it could be asking them questions. How are you doing? How's your family? You know, those kind of things. And, and really, like you said, treating them like a, a person and, and showing them that you care about them um, is really motivating for any human being. I think the other thing is, you know, when we talk about employee engagement for so long, people would ask the question, well, what do my team members want? What do they want? Do they want a ping pong table? Do they want more breaks? Do they want that? And I said, we have to change the question. The question is, what do they need? Not what do they want, but what do they need? And that could be someone to listen to them. They may have things going on at home that they can't talk to anybody about, right? And maybe you as the boss, are you're just a listening ear and you don't offer any advice. You don't offer any guidance. You just are there to listen. That may be what they need right? Some people may need information on, you know, the government programs that will help them kind of bridge the gap in terms of, in terms of their money. That's, that may be what they need. Um, they may need connection. So get on Zoom if we have to, right? I, I would rather much, much rather be in person, but, you know, get on Zoom and have, you know, a little get together party with people and allow them to talk to people. And, you know, you as the boss don't have to be the one leading it. You can just facilitate it, start the, start the, start the process and just let people talk, right? Even in zoom, there's breakout rooms. So put them in smaller rooms, let them have little conversations, but allow them to have that, that connection with people. Because I think that's one of the things that we're missing most is the connection. So I think it's, it's, it's communication is a big part of that, but also changing that question from what do they want to what do they need? And then that will help guide how you actually interact with those 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 yeah. people. Uh, uh, you're so right about the communication. I think that um, that's something that we, we're definitely aware of. And I think we, we, we kind of over-communicated to our clients. We probably didn't over-communicate enough with our team. Like all of us kind of didn't talk enough. And, and that probably led to a few mm-hmm. kind of moments of kind of everyone feeling a little bit disjointed and, and not really kind of feeling like they knew what was happening. Um, yeah. Towards the end of last year, I attended a really great webinar that you and Josh ran, which was around networking. And it was all about connection, you know, and, and, and looking at how, how we build those connections within our network when we're not able to get out and about like we used to be able to. So much of the attractions industry was about face to face, you know, lots of conferences, lots of things like that. And, um, and obviously all of that is on hold at the moment. 
So how do you motivate yourself and how do you kind of how do you recommend that leaders keep themselves motivated? Is it is it very different to how they motivate their teams and is building kind of those support networks part of that? I absolutely think the support networks are incredibly important. And again, when we're on lockdown, a lot of times we think, well, I'm locked down from everything. Well, we're really not, right? You pick up the phone, <laughs> you get on a Zoom call, you can be connected to other people. So that, I think that's really critical is to, is to keep that going. And, you know, when you go on LinkedIn or you go on Facebook or you go on any of the social channels, if you just comment on things or find things that you like, and, you know, it's not necessarily about building a relationship immediately, but it's about planting the seeds, right? So you can go on and say, hey, Kelly, I love that post about whatever it was, right? And you're just kind of, again, planting the seeds of, of building a relationship with someone that could turn into, you know, a, a professional relationship, or it may just be a friendship or, you know, wherever it might go, but it'll help you feel connected. One of the things that I feel that motivates me, and I think it motivates a lot of leaders, is when you can help someone else, right? When you can be the person that helps somebody else be successful. So that's why I really love those, those listening meeting calls that I did because after each one of them, I would ask, so was this helpful? And I just wanted to know for my own, you know, um, sanity, I guess, is this, is this something I should keep, keep doing? And everybody said, yes, this has been so helpful. Whether I said much during the call or not, it was very helpful. So that was extremely motivating to me because I got to help somebody else. And I think a lot of people get into leadership roles um, for that reason, because we want to help others. We want to serve others, especially in this business where that's part of what gets under your skin and gets into your blood is helping and entertaining other people. So I say, ask that same question of yourself. Not what do you want, but what do you need to stay motivated? And if it's to help people, that may look a little different right now, but it's the same as it would be when we're fully open and, and COVID wasn't even a thing that we even knew about. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, that that feeling that you get from helping someone is is pretty incredible, isn't it? And it can be such a small thing. You know, it, it might just be that you're connecting someone with somebody else. You're, you're making that introduction. but Or like you say, it might just be that you're giving them the ear that they need. They might just need to rant at someone for half an hour. That's fine. Yes. If, if that's okay, I'll be that person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the way that you deliver your training and the way that you deliver and work with your clients has changed dramatically. So it's everything for you virtual now. And how have you adapted to that? Are you, are you enjoying it? Does it feel a bit weird still? <laughs> it does still feel a bit weird. Um, not everything has been virtual. I've had a couple of clients that have really insisted on doing things in person. So we took all the precautions. Like I was just in Florida a, about a week ago and um, you know, we took all the precautions. Everybody's wearing masks. We're distanced from each other, all those kind of things. So they really saw the value of still getting together and taking those precautions because they felt like the, the in-person dynamic would be, you know, so much more valuable. And it really has been for some of my other clients, you know, we've changed and sometimes it's just based on volume. Like if I'm working with, you know, 200 leaders at a specific park or, or, or an institution, then it's just not practical, you know, to, to get 200 people in a room where you're all physically distanced. Yeah. So then, then we look at, we look at different, um, uh, virtual options. So some of the time I'm delivering a, a kind of a live seminar via Zoom. Um, sometimes I'm doing a pre-recorded video for them. And while yes, it's still a little weird, I think I'm starting to find my groove. I'm starting to find my, my legs, if you will. One of the biggest things I did was to stand up. 
like at the beginning of the pandemic, if I was delivering a webinar or, you know, or an online class or something, I was sitting behind my desk and I was looking at the computer and I was like, why does this feel so weird? <laughs> and it feels weird because that's not how I present. Like when yeah. I'm facilitating a class, I'm standing up. Even right now I'm standing up and I started using this too, my clicker, right? So instead of, you know, fumbling for the space bar or the return key, when I wanted to advance my slide in a presentation, I'm doing it just like I would when I'm standing in front of a group. And I've been doing that for 30 years. So that's pretty ingrained, you know, as a habit. So now if I bring that into what I'm doing in the virtual space, I feel like I can be more emotional. I feel like I can connect better because I'm not so worried about being behind the, the computer and looking at the monitor and looking at the camera and, you know, all those different things, you know, having to be perfect. Um, I'm, I'm learning this process now and it's getting more comfortable although i will say i still prefer being in person yeah oh, we all do we do we, we cannot wait for the day that we can go back to do that but what one of the things i was thinking last week is actually i, I used to travel a lot for, for for work and i think that as much as i love traveling and love seeing my clients some of those meetings and all that traveling was slightly unnecessary so i feel like when we go back to whatever normality we're going to go back to, this is going to change stuff for us quite dramatically. I think that there's barriers that have been broken down now. And, um, you know, if we had to fly to Scotland for a day, that probably isn't going to happen now unless it really, really needs to. And that's kind of nice, right? You know, you've got that flexibility. Do you see this opening up um, more possibilities for you to work with, you know, maybe more people. I don't know if you've ever worked with organizations in the UK, for example, you know, would that be it's something that you could now start to look at that's more of a possibility? 100%. Absolutely. And I think it also opens it up to different levels of leadership, because I think people are more apt to invest in, you know, a, a six month group coaching program where people are on, on zoom rather than flying me out, you know, every couple of weeks or something, you know what I mean? And so actually I've got a couple of groups going right now that are, you know, kind of seasonal supervisors. And what's great is that, you know, they probably wouldn't go to the big, um, you know, IAPAs and they wouldn't go to the, the, the big conferences, you know, on a regular basis, but this organization has said, Hey, these folks are important. So, now we've got the technology. I shouldn't say now we have it. Now we're more comfortable with it. <laughs> and hey, let's get on a Zoom call and let's do it that way. And so, you know, I think it opens it up for that. I'm also very involved with, with IAPA. I'm on the Human Resources Subcommittee. And so as you talk about how we're going to deliver things in the future, there's probably now always going to be a virtual element, which is great for people who can't travel to the show or, you know, it opens up so many different possibilities of actually maybe presenting. Like if you were in the UK and you couldn't travel to the US, well, you could now dial in and potentially present from the UK to an audience in Orlando. So, I mean, there's just so many different possibilities now. I think, I think just creativity is the, is the issue. <laughs> it's crazy though, to think that they, all those possibilities were there before we had this technology. We just weren't really taking advantage of it or it was so, it just seemed like not the right thing to do. Yeah. I love that there will always be kind of a physical and a digital aspect now. I just think like you, it, it opens it up to so many more people. Absolutely. And that's a great story about the client that is now focusing on, on a, an audience of people or, you know, a, set, a group of people in that organization that wouldn't necessarily have been able to access the support that they need from you previously. I love that. 
Yeah, it's, it's really wonderful. I think it's really opened up people's ideas of what's possible. So if you think about some of the positive outcomes of what we've been through, you know, sometimes it just takes a smack in the face for us to think, oh, we can do things differently, right? <laughs> <laughs> Rather than just kind of keep going the same way that we've gone for, for years and years and years and years, oh, we can do things differently. And what I heard from so many different people was we were forced to do things differently. And now we're seeing that that change wasn't so bad. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of very, very similar conversations. Yeah. In fact, there's an ongoing one about pre-booking, which I do keep banging on about on this show, but it was always something that was there and able to do, but it wasn't something that the industry had adopted completely in the UK. And now it's a, there's a big possibility that a lot of organizations will never go back to not having pre-booking right. again. And I, and I see that as a huge, a huge positive for the attraction and a huge positive for, you know, improved customer experience as well. So yeah, lots and lots of positives to take from this. Definitely. Um, I want to talk about podcast. Yes. So I did ask you a mean question, but I, I think you and Josh are e- excellent podcast hosts. And I, and I love the um, Attraction Pros podcast because you have such a wide variety of guests on there. And I learn something new about the industry every time I listen to it. And, um, and gosh, you've been, you've been recording an episode every week. It's, it's a weekly podcast. How long have you been doing this now? It's a long time. It is. As of this recording, we just um, released our 180th episode. So wow. Every, every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern time here in the U.S., uh, we put up something new. So, yeah, it's been going on for a long time. That is a huge achievement. And I think what I really, what I really like about it as well is that it's not just, you know, you have a podcast, which in itself is a huge amount of undertaking. I know. <laughs> It's, it's really great. You, you have great guests on, but you also do a lot of kind of supporting work as well. You know, you write really, you, you, you write great blogs that support the podcast. You've run webinars, you've run kind of training sessions around it as well. It's, it feels like such a kind of supportive community that you've built around the podcast. And that, that for me is such a positive. I want to know what's the, and this might be a difficult question, so I'm sorry. But what's the best thing that you think that you've learned from, from one of your guests on the podcast this year? Hmm. You know, it's, it's something that quite a few of our guests actually talk about. And it's something that I've learned by doing the podcast. And it's about consistency, right? Because you mentioned, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. We, when we first started, we made the very conscious decision that we were going to release these at certain times, right? And it was going to be consistent. And whatever it took, we were going to be able to, we, you know, put out a new episode on, on Tuesday morning. And so there have been times, you know, full disclosure and transparency that Monday night, Josh and I are like, <laughs> what are we going to put up tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> Like I went to Home Depot yesterday. Okay, let's talk about that. So, so I love the authenticity of this. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being honest. Absolutely. So there there have been times that we've we've done that. Um I think you know Josh and his wife just had a baby. So congratulations. Yes, and congrats, Josh. It's lovely news. Yeah. And so leading up to that, Josh knew he was going to be unavailable for quite a while. So we had, I don't know, like a month and a half of podcasts that we pre-recorded and had those done out. So it really runs the gamut in terms of, of those kind of things. But getting back to consistency, I've found that when put it, when we put it up at a consistent time and we really try hard to deliver a really consistently high quality product that people 
respond, right? And maybe we don't have millions and millions of viewers, but I think the viewers and the, and the listeners that we have are people who are engaged and they enjoy what we're doing. So it may be a smaller niche market, but I'm okay with that. So I think quite a few of our guests have talked about consistency in terms of, you know, the guest service and, um, you know, employee engagement and, and treating people in a consistent way. And I've just noticed that putting out the podcast at the same time every week and being consistent with that has really been helpful to build our audience. Yeah, definitely. And there's an expectation as well, once you've built that audience, that it's coming, right? There's a, a level of excitement. They're looking forward to the next episode. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it, consistency is absolutely key. Yeah, it's a really good takeaway that you can apply that to any part of your business, can't you? In any part of your kind of leadership journey. Good. Okay. And next question about the podcast. Do you think that it's do you think that it's helped you kind of tailor and change the way that you approach doing things? You know, is it is it I mean, obviously, one of the reasons that we we started the podcast is to learn more about people from the in, in the industry from all different sides, you know, suppliers, attractions, the whole breadth of that. And it definitely helps us change how we approach certain conversations, how we approach the understanding of what people's challenges are. Has that been the same for you? Absolutely. When you talk to people, really smart people, and we've been really lucky to have a lot of smart people, including yourself on our podcast, it's, 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 it, it, you can't help but be inspired by it. Right. And if you are not taking something away, if you're not learning something, if you're not writing down a couple of, of key nuggets that can help in your business, then I don't think you're doing it right. Right. So <laughs> we absolutely, I think both Josh and I have, have taken things away from different guests and, and different experiences that we've had in doing the podcast that have helped us either build a new product or focus on a new area or, you know, open our eyes to a different part of the industry that we have maybe not thought about as much. Um, you know, we really try hard to be well-versed in the, the entire industry. So, you know, he and I both started in amusement parks and theme parks. So that's kind of where our, our bread and butter is, if you will, of our knowledge. But, you know, learning so much about zoos and aquariums and cultural attractions and, and family entertainment centers and water parks. And, you know, the, the industry is huge when it comes to the, the, the breadth of types of attractions. And we are attraction pros, so we can't just be theme park pros, right? So that's been really fascinating. And one of the questions that we've asked a number of different folks is, okay, you're a, you're a for-profit company, you know, what can a nonprofit learn from you and vice versa? And those have been some really interesting conversations. That's a good question as well. What was the best, can you, can you think about one of the best answers that they gave? Yeah, I think a lot of nonprofits are really mission-driven, Right. And they've got a mission, whether it's conservation or, you know, animal health or whatever their their mission might be. And you find people in those organizations that naturally want to help them achieve that mission. People that work with with animals. I'm so lucky that I get to work with a number of zoos and zoological institutions because those people are extremely passionate about what they do. Right now, can we use that, you know, finding people that are that excited about your mission just because that's who they are? Can we use that as a, as a model or a framework to finding people that are just as passionate about what a theme park does? I think we can, but we also may have to alter the mission a little bit, right? You know, so it's not just about, you know, making money and making the guests happy, but how are we impacting the community? How are we impacting the world with what we do? Because entertainment, as we're seeing right now during lockdown, is critically important. You know, Josh will tell you that he doesn't think any of the attractions are non-essential. And he gets, he gets really, he gets really. <laughs> I've, heard, 
I've heard Josh talk about this. He's very adamant about this. His feathers really get ruffled when people talk about that. But I think that's something that we, you know, try to embrace as well is is getting that message out there and, and focusing on all attractions. So, yeah, I think I think that's. I hope that answers your question anyway. Yeah, it, it's a great answer. It is a really great answer. Uh, it's funny. I have heard Josh talk about um, the non-essential. He hates that word non-essential. Yeah. He said that quite a lot on LinkedIn, actually. I've seen a few posts from it. But he's right because, you know, I mean, people's entertainment is essential, isn't it? And it's a, it's cultural. It's it's your learning. You're learning through play. You're learning through entertainment. It is it is an essential service that, that attractions are delivering are completely I'm on his side yep. when it comes to that completely. <laughs> so we're towards the end of the podcast. And they, I, I always ask our guests if there's a, a book that they recommend that they have loved or has helped them shape their career in one in some way. But I want to ask you just a, a question before you choose a book. Okay. Because you've actually, you've, you've, you've written two books yourself, haven't you? You're have. a published author. Tell us a little bit about those books. So the first book that I wrote, people will ask how long it took me to write. And I say 25 years because it's a culmination <laughs> of so many of my experiences. But the first book that I wrote was called The Myth of Employee Burnout. And it's all about when, you know, you have the beginning of the season or the beginning of a year or somebody is new in your, in your organization and they start off really strong and they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and somewhere along the line, they kind of fizzle out. And when I first started working in seasonal amusement parks, we just thought this was kind of mid season burnout. And we thought, you know, long hours and dealing with the cranky guests and all that kind of thing was really impacting that. Well, when I started my, my practice in 2011, I really wanted to take sort of a a 30,000 foot view of that. And I wanted to understand that better because as an operator, I felt like I was always too close to it. And what I really found is that really comes more down to leadership. It comes down to how we interact with our teams. It's also everything from how we hire people, how we train people, how we terminate people, how we discipline people. All of those are factors, everything in the employee life cycle, all of those things impact how people are going to be engaged or how motivated they're going to be. So the book really outlines how we can get over that burnout process. And again, specifically looking at it from a leadership standpoint. Great. And then the second book has the longest title ever. It's called All Clear, A Practical Guide for First-Time Leaders and the People Who Support Them. That is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. <laughs> but all clear is what you might see on a ride platform. Somebody giving the thumbs up and the all clear. And really that means that the ride is ready to go. And what I wanted this book to be was a resource to give you know, young leaders that they're ready to go. They're ready to take on this leadership role. And really what it's about, it's about the transition to a leadership role, which is a tough transition. So two thirds of the book are about all those pitfalls, all those things that can go wrong. You're, you're now leading your friends, right? That's a, that's a huge thing, right? Getting to know yourself as a leader, communication, giving feedback, coaching people, all those kind of things are, are kind of the first two thirds. But then I also wanted to write it for the people who are guiding people through that transition. So their managers and directors, because so often they went through that same sort of sink or swim. Here's your keys and here's your radio. Go be a leader. That was their training. So they don't necessarily understand how to train another leader, especially when coming up in, in, in their organization. So kind of the, the second third or the third third of the book is really for them about selecting the right people, training them on what they need to know as a leader, and then supporting their leadership journey. So that kind of outlines uh, that book, the All Clear book. Brilliant. 
So they, they do say, I, I don't know if you've heard this phrase in the UK, but they say the most important book in your life is the one that you write and not one that you read. <laughs> so we're going to put all of the notes about those books and where you can find them in the show notes. Um, so let me ask you the final question then. So what is a book that you have loved or has helped shape your career in some way? And actually, maybe it was the one that you wrote that's helped shape your career in some way um, that you would recommend to our listeners. Well, definitely the ones that I wrote, like you said, they're, they're very important to me and they did um, shape my career. I use them all the time. Like just the other day, somebody asked me something and I said, and I had just given them the myth book. And I said, well, on page 88 of that book, you'll see that we talk about this in more detail. So, so it's been a great resource for that. But I will say that there's a book and I found it in my, my collection. It's a book called It's Okay to Ask Him to Work by Frank McNair. Okay. And I read this when I was first starting off as a leader and it was so practical. And I think that is something that has driven me as a leader. It's driven me as a, as a, as a trainer, as a coach to be very practical in what I'm providing to people. So, you know, none of this high in this pie in the sky, air fluffy stuff, right? Give me some, t- some things that I can use today as a leader, very practical. And this book is very practical. The, the title, it's okay to ask them to work. You know, sometimes we feel like it's almost hard to ask people just to do their job. Like they're going to get offended. They're going to, you know, react badly. But as he explains, and I really, you know, internalized is that that is their job, right? And it's our job to get them to do their job. And so he goes through all kinds of different things that again, are very practical to help us figure that out. So that's one that, uh, you know, when you ask about a book that really kind of shaped me and really influenced me, especially early on, it's that one. I feel like I need to go back and read that book now. (laughs) <laughs> and I've been doing this for oh, a long time. <clears throat> Thank you. That's a great suggestion. And listen, listeners, as ever, if you want to win a copy of that book, then if you head over to our Twitter account and you retweet this episode announcement with the comment, I want Matt's book, then you will be in with a chance of winning it. Matt, I've really enjoyed this podcast interview because I think as somebody who trains leaders, I don't think I've ever met anyone who is as kind of positive and optimistic as you. And I love the energy that you bring when we speak. I just think you just, you're the best person right now to motivate leaders in the attraction sector. That's all I'm going to say. So I hope everyone listening into this will take the time out. You know what? Matt has got a really great offer of just, you know, his, his ears are open So if you want to book in a little slot to have a chat with him, we're going to put those details in the show notes as well. And I would encourage you to do that without doubt. Matt, thank you for coming on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Kelly. I think there's only one way to end the podcast though, really, isn't there? And that's to say, we are all All attraction attraction pros. pros. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.